Welcome, future doctors, to another episode of the Future Minority Doctor Podcast with Dr. Sulma and Marina, where we bring you conversations to empower and inspire you to contribute to your community and the world by becoming a doctor. Hello again, future minority doctors. Thank you once again for joining us on another episode. Today we have a guest doctor, Dr. George Hightower, who is a specialist in the field of dermatology. In other words, he's a skin doctor and he works at UCSD and also sees children at Rady's Hospital in San Diego. He has both a medical degree and a PhD, which also makes him a research scientist. So once again, thank you, Dr. Hightower, for being here with us today and for taking some time to talk to our listeners who are hoping to be doctors someday. So can you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about being a dermatologist? Um, And also, if you can also in there mention about what it took to be a PhD and exactly what that is. Yeah, I'm happy to join you. Good morning, Zulma. So... I'm a, I'm a dermatologist. I'm, I'm a skin doctor. I know some folks who, who go into medicine that isn't necessarily even on their, 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 their radar um, about being a skin doctor. Um, and so I love to tell people about that because it's a passion that I have. And I also like to step back, really connect with folks about kind of my own journey into medicine um, and what I'm passionate about. My decision to become a skin doctor, a dermatologist, happened during my third and fourth year of of medical school. So at that point, um, you get to make a decision uh, about what your future training will look like. Up to that point, you've had very broad training to become any type of doctor that you want to be. And as you transition out of medical school into that future training, residency is when you have to start making some tough decisions about what doctor you type of doctor you will be. So sounds good. And as far as after making the decision to become a skin doctor, can you tell us a little bit about the decision to become a doctor and also receive a doctorate degree as well? Yeah, yeah. So I have to, I have to say my mom is a family uh, medicine doctor. And so growing up, that's the type of doctor that I, I, I thought that kind of everybody was. There would be some different specialists like cardiologists that I had an interest in. And so I think fundamental to, to my understanding of being a doctor was helping people. There's a set of skills that you use to help people. And so um, in going into college, into, into undergrad, I knew I wanted to be a doctor. I, I came to UCSD, um, University of California, San Diego, and came in as actually an anthropology major. And we can talk a little bit about that. But UC San Diego is a, a powerhouse for research, right? A place in which there's lots of funding and opportunities to study new ideas, new ways of doing things. And it's really in that atmosphere of being around so many people who were producing new ideas, thinking about unresolved questions, unknowns, that I myself got excited about the possibility that I could do that as a career. And it really tapped into that same sense of wanting to help people, 
the, some of the people I ended up working with specifically in the field of HIV and AIDS were developing new ways of, of, of thinking about, new ways of doing, new ways of treating, new ways of understanding about how HIV hurt people's bodies. And I saw this as kind of bringing together that desire with helping people with the resources in front of me and saw that as a, as a track that I could take as well in medicine. So it was really that that got me excited about doing a, a, a PhD, right, which I think of as wearing that researcher's cap and knowing that there was a program here at UC San Diego, as well as um, around the country. It's funded by the National Institutes of Health, known as the Physician Scientist Training Program. And so I finished up my undergrad with the intention of becoming a physician scientist, being able to wear those two caps. One is a researcher and then the other cap as a physician, or I would say specifically as, as a clinician. And so it was really around the model of HIV AIDS um, and the folks that I, I worked with who were infectious disease docs who, who study microbiology and diseases that are communicable that people catch that I used as a model in which they would go in and, and see patients, provide the cutting edge treatment um, so that those folks could live as complete and whole lives despite having HIV or despite having AIDS. And then they would go into the clinic or they would collect information to say, what's not known? How can we help these folks to, to live more complete, better lives, right? Decreasing the, the negative impact that the virus um, has on their bodies. And so I got really excited about that. And so that's, that's really what started my pathway down the physician scientist track. Oh, that's really interesting. So it started when you were in college, it sounds like. It did. I didn't know anything about being a physician scientist or really that career track uh, when I was in high school. Very neat. So just the amount of options that there are, amazing. Can you tell our listeners what a typical day at work is like for you? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a little challenging uh, in the sense that um, I wear both of those caps. And so um, on a typical day when I'm in the clinic, uh, I show up, my first patients are scheduled for 8 or 8.30. Each of the encounters are scheduled for about 15 minutes. I, depending on the day, see between 15 and 20 patients in the morning. And then if I'm scheduled for clinic in the afternoon, see between 15 and 20 patients. Um, some of the encounters run longer than the 10, 15 minutes, and some of them are, are shorter. And I see a, a range of things, things that maybe a, a lot of people are familiar with, with eczema or acne, and then some more complicated things where even other dermatologists or other providers on the outside uh, re refer to me um, because, you know, as a tertiary center, um, as really a, a powerhouse in, in, in pediatric dermatology, we're looked to as the experts on. So rare things or even some things that are not so rare, but are more difficult to, 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 to treat. Very neat. And you said you wear two caps. So one is as a clinician. What is the other? So, so the other is, is as, a, as a researcher. And it's, it's interesting. I, I think it's sometimes hard to explain, but I think important at least to, to give it a shot that each of these careers, so a researcher or a scientist, the career track is different from being just a, a physician or a clinician, someone who's seen patients like I talked about a typical day as a clinician. And so as I'm switching both caps, I'm also kind of switching careers mid-track. And so when I finished up my training as a, as a, as a scientist um, and completed my PhD as part of my medical school, my MD-PhD training, physician scientist training, 
I kind of put that cap, <laughs> uh, you know, on a hook and had to finish my residency in, in, in dermatology, my internship first in pediatrics, then my, 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 my residency in dermatology. Um, and some people decide to continue um, doing training during that time or doing research scientist work. Um, but because of a, a myriad of commitments, uh, both family and personal, it, it, it was more than enough for me just to focus on the medicine. And so really didn't do any, any, any science or any research um, for probably at least five years. And so in taking on this position, um, faculty in taking on this position specifically to, to, to build a career as a, as, a, as a physician scientist, what I've been doing in the last two years is building back um, that, that, that career track for, for science. And so an average day right now for, for the research work that I do is sitting down and talking with other scientists, other physician scientists in terms of designing projects, identifying specific questions, the methodology that we're going to use to address them, putting together the team to address them, writing for funding to, 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 to do those projects, and then also um, processing through the preliminary data that we have um, in terms of the projects that we've done to ask ourselves, where, where, where do we go next? Okay, neat. Uh, would you be able to share with our listeners, just giving an example of a project that you're working on or have worked on? Yeah, so for me, there's kind of um, two, let's say there's three, three, three projects that I think are a good example. Um, one was I was the primary investigator um, for a study looking at vitiligo. Um, and that's a, that is a disease that people are familiar with, although they may not know the term, in which your own body starts to attack the cells that produce pigment. And so there are folks that you can see that have two different colors to the tone of their skin. You can get it on your hands, you can get it on your face, you can have a little bit, you can have a lot of it. And so we were, uh, uh, Radies was, a, was a, um, a potential site in order to test a new medication that you would put on your skin to help the skin develop its color back. So that was really exciting because that can have a, a negative impact on the way that, that, that people see themselves. Um, and they're hoping that we could help demonstrate that the medication was both effective and safe for, for, for use in kids. And so that's a project that I worked along with in terms of identifying suitable patients, in terms of helping to explain to patients and family what that process of being involved in that study would look like. And then also communicating with the company that produced the medication about how we intended to do it so it was safe um, in following the rules both within our institution, within their institution, sitting down and talking through it, and then talking through families. So that's one. Um, so it'd be a clinical trial. The other thing, uh, project that I, I work um, along with uh, is one that um, the primary investigator is, is, is um, someone who's the chair of our department, Rich Gallo in which we try to understand better the microbiome or the bacteria that's part of naturally exist on our skin and specifically how it impacts eczema or atopic dermatitis. So we sit down and we think through ideas and try to develop uh, different strategies for both measuring, defining, and understanding how that microbiome functions in my component specifically uh, as it impacts kids. So designing that from the beginning, what are we going to do? Reaching out to families who want to participate in these studies and then ultimately doing the swabbing, right? Running a Q-tip over their skin in order to collect um, that naturally occurring bacteria on their skin 
and then take that up to the to the laboratory and then work within the laboratory in order to do the genetic testing on the bacteria, in order to grow up the bacteria, and in order to uh, analyze it. And so, and then the third project, it, it's similar to that, where I've sat down with some 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 collaborators, one of them, uh, which is Brian Sun up at UCSD, and we're really asking a, tough questions about a disease known as hydradenitis superativa. I think the best way of thinking about it, it causes scars underneath your arms and also in your private areas or your genital areas and on your buttocks. And it, it causes it to look almost as if you have a really bad infection in those areas, but it's not. It's likely an autoimmune phenomenon. So your own body attacking itself. And just as, you know, seems obvious in those areas, uh, it can be embarrassing, it can be painful. And we really don't have a good understanding why some people get it. And we don't have a great understanding of how best to treat it, especially in kids. And so I'm working along with him to figure out both the genetics of it and figuring out how it occurs and why it occurs on a biological level with the idea that if we had a better understanding of that, we could work with folks to come up with better treatments. So those are kind of three projects that I'm juggling that give you kind of a sense of the different approaches that we take and some of how I spend my, my, my days when I'm not in clinic. So that's really neat for all of you that are listening, how you can be a doctor, but also be a scientist where you're with the work that Dr. Hightower is doing. He will potentially or could one day find cures or better treatments for real medical problems. So again, not necessarily just being at the clinic, but doing the work on the back end to find cure and treatments for diseases that people have. I wanted to point that out because I think it's neat that you're able to see patients, but at the same time, you're making a difference for disease and for the listeners to understand that this is how we come up with medications, how we come up with cures for several diseases that we have nowadays. This is what doctors also can do. So that is really neat. What would you say is the best thing that you like about your job and or the hardest uh, part about your job? The reason I got into medicine is to help people. And that still is the best part of my job, knowing that the ideas, the training, the stuff that's in my head actually gets to help people live a better life. And so it's fun that I get to do that on, on, on a daily basis. I also love that I get to be curious and I, I love that I get to talk and to learn from people. And so I get to see a lot of people. I, I tell people right now, on average, I see about 80 to 100 people a week and I get to learn a lot from them, get to talk with them. So in addition to helping, I, I kind of get to see the world from the patients who, who, who come in to see. So I love that one, getting to help people, one, getting to stay curious and learn about people's lives, what they're interested in, what they're doing, and, and then get to be curious. So as people come through, if there are things that in dermatology, I admittedly say that we don't treat or we don't do a good job in terms of helping people come up with cures or helping people come up with ways to address the problems, I get to ask myself, hmm, how can we do this better? Or hmm, what do I not know about this that I, that I want to do? So I, I love those three aspects that kind of all blend in together. Without a doubt, the hardest part of my job is, is, is time. Um, and <laughs> so uh, I feel like I have way too much things to do and not enough time to do it. And deadlines um, that are <laughs> always show up faster than I want them to. So it's stressful. And I, I think it's also stressful in terms of balancing that. I was spending time with Roberta, my partner, 
a wife, and then also my 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 four and, and my seven year old, who I love spending time with. And they often ask me, why are you going to work? Why do you have to leave so early? Why aren't you coming back when you said you're coming back? Something else came up with. And so I still think that's the hardest, hardest part is just the timing of trying to, to balance all of this together and knowing that all the exciting projects that I get to do come at the cost of more time that I'm figuring out how to balance between all of the different priorities that I have. Well, I could definitely relate. I might. I have a four-year-old and a seven-year-old, so <laughs> I, I hear those words quite often. Uh, so I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Um, if you can tell us a little bit about your upbringing and your background, just so that our listeners can get to know you a little bit better. Yeah, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to do that. I think in part because it gives me a chance to, to highlight the Central Valley. So I, I, I was raised in the Central Valley, um, spent most of my time growing up in Stockton, but I've also lived uh, in Bakersfield and then not technically in the Central Valley, but close enough, spent a considerable amount of time in Sacramento. And for me, why I like to highlight that is I think it's a really unique and it's a special place. And most people often don't speak about the Central Valley as a unique and, and, and special place. Um, so I like to I like to put that out there. I'm a product of the, of, of California's Central Valley, <laughs> and so I I also have um, unusual history that I think it's it's worth bringing in. So my, my mom was was born in, in in Connecticut and raised in California, um, in the Santa Clarita area, the New Saugus area, um, and my father grew up in 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 Los Angeles, um, around uh, where USC is. So that's that's important to know because I, as I tell people in context, I am the descendant of folks that were enslaved and so family coming out of the South. But I was not born in the United States. So both my mom and, and, and dad, um, after graduating from USC, decided that they wanted to make a, a positive impact on the world um, by doing work in East Africa. And so they worked um, both at the undergraduate level, my mom, um, with, with, with children, um, kind of primary school level in East Africa and Kenya. And so I was born in Nanyuki in Kenya during a time in which, in which they were teaching. But I left before I was one year, one years old, my parents separated and then my mom came back to the United States. So I have no early memories of Kenya. My earliest memories of, are of my grandma's house in Sacramento, where my mom came back to and growing up with my grandma and my cousins, as well as my older brother and, and sister. And so my mom, after coming back, a career as a, as a, as a teacher, um, working as a substitute in uh, Sacramento Unified School District, uh, decided that she wanted to follow her passion of medicine that she'd put on hold and thought maybe she'd never go back to, and ultimately went to UC Davis. So as a, a single mom, a parent of three, um, graduated from uh, UC Davis School of Medicine. And she wanted to stay close, um, but in the match for residency, that wasn't an option that was ultimately given to her. Uh, and so she got a residency match in Bakersfield. And so we moved as a, as a family to Bakersfield where she finished up her residency. And, uh, you know, just thinking about my, my, my journey. So I started first grade in Bakersfield and went there to Plans Elementary and then Kendrick Elementary before my family moved back to Northern California, where my mom took on um, a position as a, a, as a family medicine doc in a, in, in a group in, in Stockton. 
Uh, and so we moved to Stockton, both because I had an uncle at that time who, well, actually two uncles who were living in Stockton. As I said before, for those who aren't familiar with Stockton, I guess, it's, it's, it's close to Sacramento, so about 30, 40 minutes away. Um, and so my family's in and around that area. So it was a chance to be closer to, to, to family. And so from uh, fourth grade on, um, lived in Stockton, went to Claudia Landine, lived across the street from that school, and then Lincoln High School. And then from, from, from Lincoln High School, um, graduated there and then came to UC San Diego. Um, and UC San Diego's where, where I did my undergraduate and then stayed on for, for the School of Medicine and, and Physician Scientist uh, training. You know, looking back at my upbringing and background, it's one of those things, you know, I think we all understand more uh, looking back. And so in the public schools that I went to and my friends, there's an incredible amount of diversity that I, I think I took for granted in terms of the immigrant communities and the waves of, of, of folks from Central and Latin America who, who, who came and uh, helped with agriculture there, as well as, um, you know, even before that, um, folks from, from, from the Philippines or even Japan. And so I grew up thinking that was all normal, those different waves and, and folks who were friends and taught me so much uh, about the world. That had a big impact um, on, on how I was brought up. I think both um, the folks I was willing to listen to and learn from, which I think impacts has a huge impact on who I'm willing to listen from uh, in the clinic, as well as opening up other opportunities um, that I took advantage of in, in terms of uh, in terms of high school. Even going in, I, I lived in southern southern Mexico and in, in Oaxaca, um, in, a, in a town called El Espinal, which had a big impact um, on me, uh, and then and then beyond. So that's a little bit of, of 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 kind of some of the highlights of things that I think about about my about my upbringing. Well, your mom sounds like an amazing woman. She is a super achiever. I can only imagine how difficult that was. So um, what a great role model that you had as well. So it sounds like she probably played a, a big role in influencing your academic and professional journey, right? Yeah, no, abs absolutely. The, sing the single biggest. And I will tell you, someone. whenever I think that I've got too much on my plate, I think back and I'm like, oh, I don't know how she did it. I guess I can pull it through. <laughs> Do you feel now that you talked a little bit about your background, do you feel like your background in any way created obstacles for you while you were trying to achieve a college education or even medical school? Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think it's still a topic. It's, it's difficult for me to talk to and to, 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 to think about. But there's, there's a duality. There's these two components like I, I highlighted. There's so much richness from my background, both being African-American, Black, and in the, in, in the voices and the experience of, of being a part of that community, um, as well as some of the other communities that I highlighted on. And so there's a, there's a richness that it brings to my work. But I often find myself sitting and saying, am I the only one who, who, who sees this in terms, of some of the, in terms of some of the obstacles and in terms of what I consider to be fair or right or, or, or just? I think both in terms of my own treatment and also the treatment of others within institutions, whether it's UCSD and whether it's even the institutions that I'm a part of now. So the answer is yes, but I, I think it's, it's, it's complicated in the sense that some of it's hard to pull it back um, from me just personally. Is this person treating me this way because I'm George? Or is this person treating me this way because I'm Black? Or is this person treating me this way because of perceptions of where I grew up and what they have expectations of me? 
I mean, what's hard is that I don't spend time these days pulling those apart. Although with some of the, the, the research that I do, I do think about those in terms of bigger groups and in terms of patients. But on a personal level, I found it too taxing to try to pull those apart. And so I know that they're factors. And I sometimes have to stop and say, this doesn't make sense. And I think that helps more. And then think about the strategies um, that folks have, have employed who ha come from a similar background to, over, to overcome. So I think that's, that, that is a huge challenge that, 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 that I and others face. Definitely. And I could definitely relate to everything you said as well. And this is why we created this podcast so students who are like you and I can listen to this and know that it's a common feeling, but it's not enough to stop you from achieving the goal of becoming a doctor because we need more diversity in medicine as well, both for clinical medicine, but also we need uh, doctor scientists as well. So thank you for highlighting those points and how, how you feel. If you could go back in time and talk to your younger self, say when you were in high school, what advice would you give yourself? Laugh more. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I think there's there's importance of, of hard work, which that can't be emphasized enough. Right? Someone we don't get to where we are without working hard. There's an importance of having a having a focus, having a steady focus on on what your 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 goals are and how to how to get there. But I, I think one of the things that I'm appreciating more now than I did before is how it, it doesn't stop, <laughs> right? <laughs> the yeah. struggle, the hard work, the trying to understand the, 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 the piece of ground you stand on. And as I, I look to what has made me strong and given me ability to keep going and overcoming the obstacles, it really is the, the voices of friends and the experiences of both family and loved ones and the time that we have. And, and I use that word again, that, 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 that richness. And so when I look back, I think in some ways, not that I would have worked less, I would have been less focused, is that in the time that I spent with friends and the times that I spent with family, that I would have been just, I tell myself to be more present and to realize that those define us and those are as important as as the as the work that we do when we have a piece of paper or a test in front of us or or you know in medical school so i think more 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 just a little bit more perspective on that okay sounds good now what advice would you give to our younger listeners right now who are thinking about pursuing a career in medicine i i have a tendency to be to be sometimes light on advice <laughs> uh, in part because I don't want my own advice to blur over people's curiosity um, and people's mm -hmm. um, ingenuity to tackle problems in ways that, that I haven't thought of before. So one advice I'd say is don't underestimate your own capacity. Don't underestimate the power of being able to do things differently and don't underestimate your, your, own, your, own, your own curiosity. You know, when it comes to the specifics, it really is a lot of crossing your T's and dotting your I's and jumping at the right time and, and, and showing up. And so I also want to emphasize that. But I, I think maybe those three things together and being able to come up with a blend between those three things are the things that I see are the most, um, I think are the, the things I see in the people who are most successful. 
Now, as we come to a close, is there anything else that you would want to share with any of our listeners? You've shared a lot, and I think it's very valuable, everything that you've shared. Um, anything else that comes to mind? Yeah, it, and I, I think one of the things that I think about a lot now, there's a, a lot of discussion about standardized testing. Um, and I, I think it's important to tackle that. I think at each at each stage of the game, whether it's the test that folks have to take um, for their grade level or whether it's the SAT, which is going in or maybe out of favor, <laughs> or whether it's the MCAT or whether it's the USMLE, there are these powerful signals that folks can get that they don't measure up. I think it's important that we realize that those tests are there, that we work hard to do our best on them, but that we don't internalize those as our capacity to be able to give back or our capacity to be a good physician um, or our capacity for, for, for hard work. Um, and so one of the things that I'm left to, to think about in terms of tackling, you know, going back to the idea of tackling obstacles, I think that testing can be that for folks. And so I want to emphasize that need to work as hard as you can to do well on them, but not to let those define you. Um, and to seek out mentors, right? As you said, with my mom and other mentors that I've had who can help you navigate um, both things like testing, um, but, 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 but also medicine. So I, I think those two things, right? That there's some of the negative things that have a, a tendency to define us and cause us to self-select and to kick us out of the process. Don't let that happen. And then also the importance of, of mentorships, uh, of mentorships of, of, of mentors, um, that none of us would have gotten to where we are without people who are willing to guide us and to provide advice and also to encourage us to keep going when we get down. Well, that sounds great, Dr. Hightower. Just want to thank you for taking time today to be on the podcast and share your words of wisdom. I think you will probably touch someone with the words you said and perhaps even make a difference for a high school student or even a college student. So thanks again. Thank you for your time. I know you're very busy. And thank you to all our listeners today for joining us on this podcast with Dr. Hightower.